0: Hi,
1: welcome to Back to Excited, episode 58, the playoff preview edition of Back to Excited. My name is Arvin. Joining me as always is my colleague from PensionPanPuppets.com. It's Acting the Fuleman.
0: Hi, everybody.
1: Fuleman, how are you doing? Excited for the regular season to be done?
0: I am beyond excited because, let's be honest, it was a bit of a drag coming down the wire there. That was, you know, it, we kind of knew we were going to play Boston as of, like, mid-February. And Home Ice was decided three-ish weeks ago for practical purposes. I mean, I guess we could have run the table, but that didn't happen. So it's been a bit of a bit of a drag just waiting for this to resolve. So I'm glad that we're here.
1: Yes, very much so. Um, We should briefly discuss the game yesterday. The Leafs lost to the Habs 6-5 in a shootout. I had the unfortunate task of recapping that game. And let me tell you, a meaningless game where there's 10 goals is the worst mm. game to recap because you have to put detail about those goals even though you don't care <laughs> and you have to find yeah. videos for those goals even though you don't care
0: yeah it's uh it's a drag you kind of you drew the short straw a little bit I I will say I am glad that at least there was a game with something happen and you know Ryan Paling had three goals in a shootout winner in his debut which is pretty cool uh, and I'm glad that there was something going on for Bob Coles last game mm-hmm. in his career uh, you, you know Bob Cole, as I'm sure most people listening to this know. Uh, very, very long-standing hockey night in Canada. Play-by-play, man. I think I can speak for a lot of the Leafs fan base when I say that he was the voice of hockey growing up. You know, for for serious situations, you wanted Bob Cole. And, you know, he's been in the sl- somewhat declining the last couple years. You know, I mean, he's 85, so I don't know what else you'd expect. But he had... For my money, the greatest voice of any hockey commentator ever. Just could sell excitement like nobody's business. And uh, obviously, uh, really, really great for the sport. And tied up with some pretty fond memories, certainly for me. So Yeah. yeah. I found for some, a lot of Sens fans seem to dislike him. Yeah, because, okay, so <laughs> the thing is, is that uh, as he got to the final stage of his career, for one thing, Bob got a little iffier on the names. And he saw the Leafs more often than the Sens, so he was better on the Leafs than the Sens. And two, some of those really memorable playoff moments for the Leafs happened to be at the expense of the Sens, because we beat them in four different series and they never beat us. And Bob was always the voice of those, so I get it a little bit, but uh, they really don't like him.
1: Yeah, and I mean, look, I, I understand sort of why they'd get frustrated, like, oh, this guy, you know, is making factual errors. Mm-hmm. Um. And I guess I'm being a bit of a hypocrite here because I, I get on people like um like I got on Romanuk all the time for like mistaking Nylander for Brown, mm-hmm. and vice versa. But Cole does a lot of other stuff that I think no one else does to the same degree, right? Where mm-hmm. he captures the moment of the game. He's an expert at reading the room, so to speak, and like knowing just what is the right time to say what, and what's the right time to let the moment speak. What's the right time to ad exposition right mm-hmm. he's yeah was amazing at uh what he did i'm i'm a bit younger than you so i don't have as many memories of cole but i certainly still remember you know those playoff series against the senators and uh the 2002 olympics were also really really mm-hmm. fond memory with the Jo oh, yeah. sakic right
0: <laughs> yeah
1: uh um, oh, that was great but yeah you know an absolute legend and it was awesome to see I guess a fun game for him to call. And I think, you know, I, I dump on hockey night in Canada and CBC's production a lot, and it's often terrible, but I think they did a really good job managing Cole's last game.
0: Yeah. They basically let, uh, and you know, a lot of credit for this goes to Greg Millen. He basically just let Bob call the overtime solo and three on three overtime is obviously pretty action packed, even in a meaningless end of season game. Uh, you know, it was 5-5. Five, five. There was a lot of action either way. And it was really a lot of fun, even with the odd mistake, just to hear Bob sell the emotion of that moment. Yeah, so, he, he still yeah, has the well fastball, done. you know? Yeah, you know, whatever else. So uh, cheers to Bob Cole. As for the game, we were playing our 10th defenseman, which is what Justin Hall is at this point. We were playing our 7th through 10th defenseman, actually, because we rested all of our normal top six. Top six, excuse me except Riley and Gardner. So I'm going to go ahead and say I don't really care too much about that result. <laughs> I'm not going to get fast.
1: Yeah. I mean, the only thing I was concerned about, and this is kind of a larger concern of mine that has been the case for some time, is that whichever line of between the second and third lines, between the Matthews and Kadri lines, whichever line that Nylander has not been on recently has struggled. Mm-hmm. Yeah and that's a mild concern for me because we need both of those lines to go against Boston we'll talk about that soon
0: yeah yeah I I mean I think you said before that our value proposition is kind of our scoring depth and so we need that to be firing to be really successful yeah it was was good to see
1: Capitan get his 20th as well hopefully like you could see he was visibly struggling with the weight of that it seemed at times and you know, there was, the camera caught him in a couple of moments where he missed like great chances where he's like, oh, I can't score, or, you know, just yeah. visibly showing frustration. And I thought, honestly, before that goal, he had a really bad game. Just things weren't bouncing his way.
0: Yeah, it wasn't really working out for him. And I did notice that, again, you know, I think Mike Babcock is as conscious of the value of this game as anyone else. I noticed uh, he used Cappy in the shootout, which might not have been my first choice. You know, Cappy's great asset, I think, is his speed. You know, he has the one move. I won't say he's a bad shootout player or anything, but I think the choice to go to him was maybe significant. So, yeah, I think it's good that he got some of his confidence back. That was uh, encouraging to see. Yeah, yeah. very much so. Um, Yeah, so that's uh, about all she wrote for that game last night. Uh, Before we get deep into the Boston stuff, which is going to be the bulk of this podcast, I wrote a kind of snarky article last week about how to lie with hockey stats and it was you know me being very glib and mean-spirited frankly but it was about some of the things that you see after you kind of hang out on hockey twitter and the vicinity for a while in terms of how people will toss out a number that can be kind of misleading if you're not paying attention and so i talked about things it worked out
1: perfectly because this was like immediately before the whole Garrett Sparks is going <laughs> off on a back on a gap year to find himself.
0: Yeah, he's going to backpack um, through the. I, actually, bit. I should
1: I should cover that in a less glib way. Like Sparks is going to apparently be working with the Leafs goalies coaches um, to rediscover his form and his game, and it's sort of unusual to see this happen. Um, mm-hmm. You certainly hope that it's, you know, that he's mentally in a good spot. It, it's been a tough year for him, and being a goalie in toronto who struggles you're the face of a lot of criticism and if you go to Mm like spark's instagram page even the most innocuous posts have tons of just assholes yelling at him over the internet and like, don't do that like that's just don't be a dick um but yeah hopefully you know he's able to rediscover that uh and i i guess it's it's just a weird situation because it's not uncommon for a backup to have a bad year like 15 backups Mm -hmm. a year are below average for at their job yeah right but it, i guess it's this is sort of a, a weird outcome for that and i guess both he and the team felt like it wasn't palatable for him to be the like him being the backup wasn't a, a good a good situation if he was ever forced into action not that it's really mm-hmm. any better if we have michael Hutchison there
0: no if freddie goes down really. we're
1: we're screwed yeah it's game over um but yeah sorry i i know this is a sidetrack from your article. No, but. It, but
0: it's it's worth raising in terms of how people talk about players. Uh, and Garrett Sparks was certainly something that came to mind for me in terms of how people talk about players. Um, yeah, it's just an issue that I've sort of seen recurring, well, since forever, really. But you'll see people toss out a stat that's based on, like, 10 games. Or they'll use an endpoint by saying something like, since January 28th. Um They'll cherry-pick particular stats, they'll leave out key context in, in terms of, like, information that seriously affects the validity of the point. And I won't lie, I get probably more frustrated by this than I should, because I honestly view it as, when you do this deliberately to allow people to form another impression, it's lying. It's, yeah, like it's, it's, yeah, it might be lying dishonest. by
1: omission, but it's still lying.
0: Yeah, and that bothers me. Now, to be clear, you can say since January, whatever, and just look at a particular stats, and that's fine in the descriptive way. You can totally say, this is what I've noticed. You know, the puck is not going in for him lately. And if you just want to talk about what's happened in the last five games and you're clear that's all you're doing, that's fine. It's when you try to put forth numbers that are implied to have some sort of wider validity, and you're clearly doing things with them that are disingenuous. And that kind of drives me nuts. And I maybe feel it more specifically because the truth is I majored in English, as I mentioned, and I didn't take math after grade 12. And so when someone who is clearly comfortable with these numbers or who was more experienced than me, I, I tended to give them a lot of credence. Uh, You know, I gave a lot of credit to people who appeared to know what they were doing with it. And so when those people turn out to be kind of manipulating them to make a pretty bullshit argument, it's very frustrating to me. And I think that, you know, it, it is misleading to people. And so I guess I would just like it if it were if some of these very like kind of simple concepts in terms of sample size, in terms of when you cut off a particular endpoint, why are you doing that? When you choose one stat over another, I just wish that, you know, there were a greater level of comfort with them. And I'm not saying people have to understand advanced math, because I don't. It's just uh, being a little bit more aware can help you maybe not get the wool pulled over your eyes by people on Twitter who want to convince you of some particular point. And it does bear on the Garrett Sparks thing, because... A lot of people are invested in Garrett Sparks being a good goalie. And to be clear, you can say he had a rough year. He played like 20 games. It's not determinative of his career. And you can say he was a very good AHL goalie for several years. And that's a totally fine argument to make. But massaging the numbers that he's posted this season to make them look like they aren't bad is I think, really dubious at this point. Like, pretty much any way you measure it, he's been at least a mediocre backup. And that's, like, the best you can say about it. By some numbers, it's been much worse. And I'm not saying this to pile on the guy. Again, I think people should not be crazy about this. Certainly don't seek out people on social media and be dickholes. But at the same time, we can talk honestly about his performance. And I got a little frustrated by seeing people not doing that. So... Right. And... and I just wanted to... Elaborate on that a bit. And you can say,
1: like, oh, you know, here's why I believe his performance might not be indicative of how well or poorly or how poorly he'll do in the future. I think he's better than this. And if you say that, sure, that's fine. I might not agree with the argument, but there's nothing inherently uh, misleading or wrong about the pretense of that, right? It, it's mm-hmm. kind of a, almost like the gaslighting <laughs> type use of stats where you're like, oh, well, actually, he, you know, if you look at this real weird subset of numbers, he, he looks fine you know you have to question whether yeah. that subset of numbers has actual meaning or validity um, you know I think it was I think it was a good post uh, I think one thing that jumps out to me a lot is the arbitrary endpoints and that's something you see not just in like hockey Twitter but you see that so often on broadcasts mm-hmm. you see it so often it's like oh in their last like y- X games they have Y points they really need to do better or they've really done well it's like, okay so why are you choosing Y games mm-hmm. right and, and something that's Stuck in my mind a lot. Um, Michael McCurdy, I think maybe a long time ago, had a tweet where something like, you know, you should, you can't throw out data because it's inconvenient to your narrative. If you're going to say, you know, since X, this has happened and have that be meaningful going forward, you need to have an underlying hockey reason as to why the data before X games and after X games are fundamentally different. Mm -hmm. So in the Leafs case, there's a very simple example. I think it'd be fair to say, how have the Leafs done since December 6th? Because that's the first game William and Ender played. That is essentially the first game since they had essentially their entire lineup. You can do the same thing with how have they played since Jake Muzzin has arrived. Mm -hmm. Right? And there's a hockey reason why you could theoretically believe why their performance before and after those points are not going to be the same. Right. But if I just said, you know, how have the Leafs done since March 20th? Nothing happened between March 19th and March 21st. I'm just choosing March 20th. Why do I care about that? Yeah. And if it's not, if there's not an obvious reason, you need to establish that there is some sort of predictive reason why, you know, oh, maybe it turns out the last X games are more predictive. So we could look at a rolling sample or things like that. But you have to establish that. You can't just say. Yeah,
0: make the case. Yeah. You know, for the record, I've done it a bit with William Nylander. I've said, look, I think there was a period where he was transitioning back to the NHL. And I think you can still say, well, you can't totally throw data there. You can argue when we should start saying his results are more determinative of how he's been doing. Uh, because, you know, if you slice up his season, the truth is for the first six weeks, he looks pretty bad. Like, and totally nonproductive. And then since that, he looks okay. Um, okay, bordering on good, bordering on really good with fancy stats. But you can say, like, look, you have to account for the fact that he still did play those games and they didn't go all that well. And if you're doing that in a fulsome way where you say, I think things have changed here, I can't prove it 100% that there's like a clear difference in category, but there's something going on here that I think is worth pointing out. When you make that argument fully, that's okay, even if I disagree with it, but Twitter is kind of conducive to doing this in a very short glib fashion where you just cut out the stuff you don't like. And
1: that's like by, and, by the nature of Twitter because of the character yeah. limit, right? And it makes Twitter mm-hmm. like a terrible place to have an actual discourse.
0: Yeah, even though, you know, we're all on there and that's where half the discourse happens around the Toronto Maple Leafs for at least a certain segment of the fan base now happens, uh, you know. So that's sort of just something that we have to, uh, to endure. But I do get a little bothered when I see people who I know probably know better misusing numbers in this way, in what seems like a way to actively mislead people. By the way, if you're just doing something like for fun and you're like, oh, hey, Austin Matthews is like dominating in P60 over that stretch. Sure, cool. Like, that's fine. That that, that falls
1: under the descriptive thing that you mentioned.
0: Exactly. And, you know, it's just all a question of what conclusion are you trying to prop up here? If it's just, hey, this shit is cool. That's fine. Do that all day. But when there's... A tone to the argument of, and therefore these people are idiots who are misevaluating the game, uh, which is what you see in a lot of tweets. I'm sorry to say, there's an obligation I think to make the argument more fully. So, yeah, that's my little rant about that.
1: Yeah, no, I think that's that's totally fair.
0: Well, we've put it off for like 15 whole minutes, but we probably have to dive into the Boston thing. Okay. Time to preview the series. Yeah,
1: time to preview the series. So, the first thing I'll say is if you're in the subset of Leaf fans who are being very woe is me about this team and about Mm. our chances in this series, chill out. Yeah. The Leafs are not a bad team. The Bruins are not the 2008 Red Wings or the 2019 Tampa Bay Lightning.
0: Yeah, this isn't I think that's, an
1: unstoppable yeah. beast of a team that no one has a hope in hell of beating. This, the team that many Leafs fans seem to think are you know, going to run away with this series had one more regulation or overtime win than the Leafs did. Mm-hmm. They have basically the same Corsi, they have basically the same XG. They are a good yeah. team, just like the Leafs are a good team. They are not unbeatable.
0: The thing that I would emphasize here is that if you're going into this with a feeling of this is a mismatch and we're doomed, I understand that. I understand the place of fear that that feeling comes from, you know, deep in your stomach from a long history of the Leafs being kind of disappointing for the most part. But that doesn't bear on reality. Like, you have to recognize that it's not really any more rational to say that the Leafs are like a 5% chance to win than to say that they're like a 95% chance to win it's a failure of confidence pretty much just as far in the other direction because any way we can measure this this is a pretty close series it's not going to be easy i think boston is a very narrow favorite very narrow but very narrow means it really could go either way it's a lot closer to a coin flip than it is to anything else yep so i want to get that out of the way right off the top
1: and to prove Um. we're not just like Making that up, Money Puck, if you go there right now, has the Bruins at 50.8% chance to win the series. The Leafs at 49.2. Hockey Viz, yeah. Micah McCurdy's site, has a similar 49-51 split. These are yeah, you know, these are two <laughs> unbiased sources.
0: Right? Yeah, none of them is put up by the Leafs or anything like that. You know, they're not Leafs fans, for one thing. Like, they're, they're you know, experts who are trying to analyze the game. And so when they look at it, independent of all the feeling and the emotional history that they have there, look, this is close. This is a close series, you know? Um, So I think that that bears over everything. Now, that said, a series that is closely matched can end in a sweep, one way or the other, a small percentage of the time. You know, it's worth acknowledging that, but that's not the most likely result. I think if you have to bet on probabilities, you're going to see a close thing. Yeah. Yeah. so let's look at what's exactly close about this series. Right. So um, Kevin Papetti
1: had a really nice breakdown of the two teams and how they match up at Maple Leafs Hot Stove. And mm-hmm. basically what it comes down to is that these teams kind of go strength for strength, like in, in some sense, because the Leafs' offense is elite and the Bruins' defense is elite.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And those two are going to go head-to-head. Um, the Bruins are phenomenal at restricting the front of the net they're phenomenal at restricting chances in general their um, goals against per 60 at five on five was the best in the league their expected goals against per 60 was third in the league and basically and this sounds very kind of glib and obvious but if the Leafs can get to the front of the net the way they do against most teams I think they will be okay right because that's really what the Leafs excel at The Leafs are really, really good at getting to high-value areas of the ice. And if you look at their numbers... So one way to look at this, if you look at, say, what happens when Patrice Bergeron's on the ice as a proxy for Boston's first line, and you look at what happens when John Tavares is on the ice as a proxy for the Maple Leafs' first line, they actually get basically the same amount of shots away offensively, but the Leafs get a lot more expected goals because their shots are from better locations. They're good at getting to the front of the net. They're good at generating rebounds. They're good at generating chances in tight. And this is compared to Mm -hmm. Patrice Bergeron, an elite offensive player in his own right who plays with two amazing finishers. Right. Now, the Bergeron line is far better defensively, right? And that's where, you know, that sort of strength versus strength comes in. But that's really going to be the the main focal point of this series at five on five is how well can the Leafs permeate that defense?
0: Yeah. And... You know, you'd think that they can. If anyone can, and again, I know that, you know, we have this residual fear, but the reality is Austin Matthews, John Tavares, Nazem Kadri, is as good an offensive group as you're going to see in terms of top three centers. It's competitive with anyone in the world. I tend to believe that they're going to be able to get their chances, that they're going to be able to score. Uh, Will it be enough to outweigh the fact that, you know, they're probably going to give a lot back at the other end? We're gonna see, but uh, yeah, that's the defining issue here. is just a matter of degree to which the Leafs get to the dangerous areas. Um, they have the capacity to do it, so I guess we're gonna find out. <laughs> um, right,
1: and I think the, the the key to doing that is as much as po- well. I mean, obviously, you can't get hemmed in your own zone. If you're in your own zone, you're definitely not getting into those areas. So the breakout's going to be a you know a part a point of emphasis, right? Uh, last year, yeah. a lot was made of the fact that the Leafs um, or that the Bruins rather kind of targeted the right side of the Leafs defense and prevented them from from breaking out the way they uh, wanted to and made it seem like, you know, oh, the, the Bruins kind of dummied the Leafs in that regard. I think that oversells it a little bit. The Bruins had a shot advantage in the series. It wasn't like they they weren't out shooting a 60-40 every game. Mm-hmm. but that's going to be something to keep an eye out for. Um when scouting comes into play, the the fact that the Leafs can kind of be predictable at times in how they want to break yeah. out with, you know, fanning out vertically as opposed to horizontally and not really stretching the forecheck. Um that can be scouted out and that can be taken advantage of. So the Leafs will hopefully will well, they'll need to have counters there. They will be helped by the fact that they now have an additional good defenseman in Jake Muzzin.
0: Yeah. The defense is definitively better this year than it was last year. And at exactly the right time, it looks like it's healthy again. So hopefully uh, that's going to be enough to make a big difference. I will say it looks like Mike Babcock is going to run Riley Hainsey as his top pair. He seems to have decided that's his best option. Partially, you know, he didn't have as much time as he would have liked to maybe try anything else because uh, Jake Gardner and Travis Dermott were out for an extended period and he kind of went back to what he knew. But as much as I've defended Mike Babcock, I think that he is making a real big bet that I don't really agree with there. And if this burns them in terms of if Hainsey can be targeted effectively to the extent that I fear, um, that's going to be a problem in the series and he is going to wear that. So this is kind of... Uh, and
1: deservedly so, right? Because that, that's something yeah. that every, everyone is basically pointing to as like, oh, you know, that's going to be a problem.
0: Yeah, and the thing is, is that for the longest time, he didn't have the greatest of alternatives. You know, like, because he had limited personnel, you know, we always assume that's why it was relying on Ron Hansey. Ron Hansey, I don't think is, is as bad as maybe he seems like, you know, certainly if you put him down on the third pair, I think he's going to show you that he's still a pretty decent NHL defenseman at that level. Him and Riley are going to have to take the toughs, though, against a tough team. And I can't say that I have a ton of confidence about how that aspect of it is going to turn out. Like, insofar as I do share doubts about this series, it's that. So, um... At this point, I'm just kind of resigned to it in terms of that appears to be the choice that he's going to make. By all accounts around the team, that seems to be the way that he's looking at it. And I understand that to some extent because, again, that pairing has done well in terms of goals. But it's quite a choice. Uh, It's a big decision. And if it turns out that it goes better than expected and it's survivable, my opinion of our chances gets a lot better, actually. If it doesn't, well... We're going to see. So,
1: (laughs) yeah, it's, I mean, you can very vividly see in your mind right now David Pasternak scoring off the left wing. And this is actually something that Kevin pointed out in his piece, that he and Marshawn swap wings a lot, right? And they both Mm -hmm. have elite shots, and that allows them to use their elite shots to really, um, really, really effectively. So you can already see David Pasternak scoring off the right wing, wheeling away in celebration, and Ron Hainsey, slamming a stick and looking up at the jumbotron like that that's in your mind right now you can picture that perfectly
0: (laughs) painfully so
1: and yeah i I mean it's hard to feel confident in that matchup at all right that's that's not a fun matchup by by any means
0: no um and all you can say is that like well every team has weaknesses and that's our most glaring one
1: but the thing is it's such a it's such a glaring weakness because the rest of the team is is otherwise strong and that's Probably the—that's the one position group that I'd say is like not just below average, but like bottom ten in the league.
0: Right yeah, side defense. it's really notable. Whereas you know the Leafs can put together a pretty highly functional second pair. The third pair, insofar as it gets to play, which I guess we're going to see, is probably quite good as third pairs go. Um, you, you know, depending on the composition, but yeah, it. Certainly, you know, if you think this series is going to be defined by weaknesses, that's ours. And all I can say is I really hope it goes well. There's no getting around the fact that the Marchand-Bergeron-Pasternak line is arguably the best line in the world. It has been for a while now. It still probably is for my money. I mean, you can say Dressetl and mcdavid for example, but it's in that tier. Mm-hmm. Yes. So it's, you know, broadening the, uh, the line of thought a bit there how we do against that line is kind of determinative. And if we're doing about 50-50, like we're sawing off against that line, that's a success because we should be able to be pretty effective on scoring depth. Uh, This gets complicated a little bit in terms of if the Bruins make the decision to split that lineup and put David Pasternak on the second line, um, which I think would be smart for them to spread out their offense a little bit because they can run two effective lines and Marchand and Bergeron are still enough to be pretty scary. (laughs) So yeah, we'll see if that changes as things develop. But right now what we're looking at is one extremely dominant line. And you know, last year you'll probably remember that we went into Boston and David Pasternak ate our lunch. So if that happens again, that's going to be pretty devastating for us. If we can survive that this series starts to look pretty good for the runoff. Yes. So.
1: And you, know, you mentioned that other teams have weaknesses. Boston, in my opinion, their biggest weakness is that their depth players are not game breakers. Mm-hmm. Right. I think they have, they have two good forward lines. And then a lot of guys who play a solid responsible game who are not much help when your team is trailing. Yeah. And similarly, I think Boston has a really good top pair right mm-hmm. um char is still somehow effective uh mcavoy is very good krug um is a very good uh defenseman as well and he he helps their their second pair a lot but their depth is it's weaker than the leafs depth it doesn't have the explosiveness that the leafs depth has it doesn't have the ability to get in tight to create high value offensive opportunities the way the leafs do uh and the mm-hmm. way they get around it is by playing very conservatively they slow the game down those depth guys you know they basically not a lot happens, and that's fine for Boston. If not a lot happens when they're on the ice, that's fine. You're just fast forwarding the game until Bergeron and Marchand and Pasternak and Krejci and DeBrusque come back on, mm-hmm. right? And that that works out fine for them. So the you know I've said it before, like the depth of the Leafs versus the depth of the Bruins is a big matchup, and turning that into a game that the Bruins don't want to play, turning that into a track meet Mm -hmm. is what the Leafs would do ideally. And the way to do that, again, you have to make sure you're able to get the puck out cleanly. Right? So I hope we see some adjustments from the Leafs in that regard, um, where they're a bit more perhaps conservative in terms of flying the zone, or at least vary their looks up so it's not as predictable for, for Boston. Look, the Leafs coaches are smarter than me when it comes to this sort of thing. Um, I, I somehow doubt that they've never considered, oh, well, why don't we, you know, not fly the zone? Like, you know, I don't I don't yeah. think they're stupid. Um, and there's a lot there that I'm probably oversimplifying or a lot here that I'm oversimplifying, but I would like to see the Leafs kind of shade some help towards that side of the defense where possible. Mm-hmm. Right? And look, the Leafs, third line, um and second line recently especially basically whichever line nylander has been on has been really really good at getting the puck out of their zone and i think it's because like i've noticed nylander's dropping deeper in the zone he's helping his defensemen out with the um with leaving the zone and he's amazing at it right and that Mm -hmm. that would help the leafs a lot and i think captain has a similar ability no one on the bruins can really match his speed and we saw how much of a game changer he could be last uh year in the playoffs You know, as just a guy who can skate around people.
0: Yeah, that's a nice trump card to have. You know, that gets you a long way. But uh, yeah, um, I do feel like we are a little bit repeating ourselves from last year of necessity because the Bruins are not unlike they were last year. And the Leafs, as we've said before, as Alan said, um, are last year but more so. Like, they've leaned in really hard to their identity. I do believe that they are better. There's been some chatter going around recently that the Leafs are not as good as last year because they have fewer standing points. I don't think that's true. I think that when you have all of the pieces in place, this team is definitively better than it was last season. But they haven't fixed the glaring holes. So it's going to come down to, as we said, you know, can the Leafs force their style of game on the Bruins? Can they turn this into an offensive matchup. And, and um, you
1: know, that might be what they're trying to go for with, like, you know, the, the stretch pass gets derided, but, like, you know, you, you land mm-hmm. a couple of those and suddenly the game is stretched, right? And that's exactly what you want to do. You want to stretch out Boston's defense, who is, I think, good at defending in their own zone and less good at defending in space.
0: Mm-hmm. But, uh, especially in the nature of Zidane Ochara, yes. who has immense range to this day because he's enormous and because he's very smart, but, you know, his mobility is not there to nearly the same extent anymore. So... Yeah, that is kind of the way that it breaks down there. I mean, I suspect the Tavares line, now speaking of forward matchups, is going to be staring down Patrice Bergeron. Uh, As much as I'm terrified of Patrice Bergeron, I think he's a monstrously good player. He should be in the Hall of Fame, no question, and I think he will be. But I think if you have to go up against him, there are a lot worse things to have to throw at him than John Tavares. You know, so... I think potentially that matchup has the... You know, like like it could break more in our favor than I'm kind of expecting, you know? And then we get into the question of how the other lines do. Um, there's been some talk about, well, some talk. There's been some moving around of William Nylander off Austin Matthews' wing. Um, I have to say, I think that's a mistake. Like, I just, I don't think that that's a good idea.
1: Yeah, I mean, I struggle with this because if you look at the numbers for and Matthews-Kapanen as a line, it's quite mm-hmm. strong, actually, but it feels like a line that hasn't worked well in a while. I don't know if that's just a shooting percentage trough, mm-hmm. but it, it doesn't feel like a sustainable line right now. And it, it doesn't, it feels like Matthews has, has to do everything on that line in terms of creation. I think Kapanen and Janssen are good offensive players, but, you know, very good offensive players, but they are, I think, predominantly kind of straight-line players who make the expected play but execute it well, and in Captain's case, execute it faster <laughs> than almost anyone yeah. can. Um, and Nylander has that ability to break a team's structure, and I, I think that's big against a team like Boston, and people will counter, oh, but Nylander sucked in the playoffs last year. Fuck you, no he didn't.
0: <laughs> no, he did not. And, like, I, you know what? We should probably hammer this point. No, he did not. As much as you feel like he may have. We
1: covered this in a previous yeah. podcast, but like, if when you look into the numbers, Nylander was one of the few Leafs who actually generated high levels of offense against the Bruins. And also didn't you get know, talking shooting about percentage, but defense,
0: yeah. Yeah. Uh, talking about stretching, Nylander is a really, really good transition player. You know, and that's something that I tend to value in terms of he can actually carry the puck. Um as an alternative to necessarily relying on long bomb passes, you know, there's more than one way to do it. So I really want Nylander on Matthew's wing. Again, I can see the case the other way, but just.
1: Right. And I, I think actually the case yeah. the other way has to do with, well, Kadri hasn't really produced with Kapanen and, and marlow as far as I remember. Mm-hmm. Right. So it's like we need Kadri to get going, we need Kadri to be productive in the series. Yes, this was a game against a Montreal team that had nothing to play for and was, you know, playing for pride. But that line, the Kapanen—or sorry, the Marlo, uh Marlow Kadri, Nylander line yesterday was destroying the Habs. Mm-hmm. Like, they were creating something every shift. Um, yeah. And, you know what, that's what Nylander has done pretty much everywhere he's gone this year after the first little
0: bit. So— Yeah, it's— I know we're we're, we're playing the endpoints game a little bit here, but it's like, okay, we're we're into like month three now of, gee, every line with Nylander on it suddenly gets really good in terms of shot attempts. Maybe that's a good thing to have happen. I don't know. Right, and you you want your... Like, if you
1: believe, as I think we both do, that, okay, Nylander can goose our shot attempts. I want those Mm -hmm. shot attempts being taken by the best shooter in the league.
0: Yeah. Where would we find such a thing, you know? It's like Austin Matthews is... The guy. And, and so, then part, part yeah. of it is
1: also that, like, Nylander is, you know, whatever, let's say our fourth, fifth best forward, whatever. But mm-hmm. he's better than Kapanen, as much as I like Kapanen. I want him playing more.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's a big thing that I think can be lost in terms of the matchup game. We talk about, oh, can Kadri line shut down the Bergeron line? Can you do this with this? When you do match hard, you are of necessity playing your matchup line more because you're going up against the top line for the other team. If that's your third line, then you're playing your third line more than one of your top two destroyer lines. So I kind of come around to the point where it's like, play the Tavares line heads up against the Bergeron line because we're giving a lot of minutes then to, you know, John Friggin Tavares and Mitch Marner.
1: Right. And, and that's uh, not to say you, you've a hundred percent of your time getting uh, Tavares on Bergeron. I think one of the advantages that the Leafs have with their center depth is that if, any of the top three lines are out against Bergeron. It's not a disaster warning immediately. I yeah. mean, maybe if the Matthews line gets caught in their own zone against mm-hmm. Bergeron, but I guess that's true of any Leafs line. I don't think any Leafs line is amazing in their own zone. But no.
0: the Matthews line feels it's, it's worse particularly sometimes. worse,
1: especially if Nylander's on there, because that's probably that's a weakness of his as well.
0: Yeah, I noticed it. I don't know. Anyway, but that is an aside, and that's something that we just kind of have to endure in terms of right. like, well. You know? but, but the thing is, the, this, this lets you... Like, if you, if you want to steal
1: a shift every so often of like, okay, yeah, let's get Kadri out here against Bergeron, and then we can really leverage Tavares, Marner, Hyman against Anders Bjork, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. Maybe. Then you can you can get something out of that. Um, but I think... I don't think going through the hard matchup is necessarily the the best thing for the Leafs to do, right? I think the, the they want to manage that to some degree but also ha- be willing to move things around and try and surprise boston by getting some shifts with their elite talent against boston's depth and hope that the leafs second and third lines can handle the bergeron line better than boston's you know second and third line can handle the leafs top lines
0: yeah exactly um so that kind of is the the proposition of the series Is like can we leverage that level of depth um, in an effective way against a very good but top heavier team? Right, and like um, Boston is not
1: a fearsome offensive team, right? I've spent a lot of time talking about their strength defensively. They don't score that much at five v five. It really, they really are dependent on that top line, and less so now because Krejci, Debrusk, and now Marcus Johansson are all capable of providing secondary offense. Right, but. They they still really need that top line to generate a ton for them, mm-hmm. right? And they, their defense doesn't provide a whole lot of offense. Certainly, I don't think they have an offensive defenseman on the caliber of of Riley, or Gardner. No.
0: So, um, Torrey Krug is the closest, yes. but I would not say that he's as good at that aspect certainly as as Riley or Gardner.
1: Yeah. So I mean, it's it sounds reductive, but a lot of it comes down to. Do as well as you can against that line, and find a way to generate offense against the depth, right? To, like mm-hmm. I, I keep saying this, but turn the tu- you want to make every um, every non Bergeron line high event. Yes. Right. Like you, you, at that point, you're you're not necessarily willing to trade chances. Like you never want to say, oh, you know, we'll get hit in order to land a punch. Yeah. But you want to leverage your speed and make this a more open game. And Boston's really good at not playing that game, right? And in order to do that, the Leafs are going to have to be... Make them play it. Yeah, they're going to have to make them play it. They're going to have to find pockets of ice in the neutral zone. They're going to have to make sure they can exit the zone and enter the zone as unobstructed as possible. And use, um, (laughs) use the full brunt of their really strong forward depth to generate those high-end chances. I think one thing that's going to be really important is for the defense to be able to get shots through, right? And really use Riley Gardner-Dermott's ability to walk the line and find holes past the wingers to just get the puck in deep and into that dangerous area because the Leafs are really good and really active at pouncing on those pucks. Mm-hmm. Right? So um, the, the, the common... I think the quintessential, the quintessential play I feel like is that is very Leafs is a winger coming into the zone... Um, with speed, forcing the defense to respect it, and either passing to a driving forward or reversing to a defenseman who walks the line, finds a hole, shoots, and goes for a high tip and then uh, crash the net for a rebound. That's a very, very Leafs kind of sequence. Yeah, very much so. And it results in really high-value offense in a, in a large proportion of the time. So being able to do that is going to be really, really important, uh, and Boston's mm-hmm. going to scout that out to some degree, but the, the magic of what the Leafs can do is that it, you know, you have to give up, you have to, you can't defend everything, right, and often the part that's yeah. going to be undefended is the point, and the Leafs do have defensemen who are very good at getting the puck through and creating value from what is typically seen as low-value positions, right, the, if you look at the Leafs shot chart, it's a big red blob in front of the net and a, rig, a big red blob at the left point, and those are not unrelated, in my opinion.
0: Absolutely, they are not. And, you know, for all we've talked about the whole at right defense, um, the Leafs have very strong playmaking defensemen at the left point, and they have very strong playmaking forwards on two of their top three lines at right wing. So the two of them can play off each other. I mean, you see this most prominently on the power play, obviously, with Riley and Marner. But there's a bit of that in at even strength, too, where it's, Uh, The defenseman can either work it in deeper down the left side, force a shot through, or kind of stretch along the top of the zone and then throw it back to the right wing where Nylander or Marner are, uh, where they can try and work it towards the front of the net. And the result is, I mean, there was this famous uh, montage that made the rounds on Twitter, and it was actually by an embittered uh, Bruins fan, I think it was, uh, snarking on John Tavares for like, he only does tap-ins. And in order to prove that John Tavares only does tap-ins, this guy actually made a montage of John Tavares scoring like a ton of goals. And then he was like, see, he sucks. And so he created a highlight reel of a guy scoring a lot to establish that he is bad. But John Tavares scores a lot of goals where you think, oh, he was just in the right place at the right time. And he does that enough that he was third in the league in goals this season, behind Ovechkin and Dreisaitl. You know, that's the strength that we've added in terms of John Tavares at even strength and also on the power play, you know, the ability to convert from those dangerous areas and to take a certain amount of punishment getting through there and to also find a little bit of separation against defensemen in those danger areas. So yeah, I, I mean, that's a long way of saying, I agree. If we can work it in that way, we have the guys who can finish. I mean, even Zach Hyman has started converting this year including on some shots where the goalie was in the net. So what can you say?
1: Yeah. Um, before we move on to talking about, like, their special teams, I, I think we should talk mm-hmm. a little bit about kind of their their usage, how Boston likes to use their-, their players. So they kind of have a pretty, from what I can tell anyways, like, uh, they have a bunch of guys who they use in offensive zone starts and a bunch of guys they use in defensive zone starts, and then Patrice Bergeron kind of does everything. Mm-hmm. Right? So... They they basically play their top six guys in offensive zone starts almost exclusively, their bottom six guys, defensive zone starts almost exclusively, and then Bergeron in high leverage a- and face-offs that yeah. they really want to win. So that that's nothing surprising. That's pretty that's pretty typical. And then the um, the Bruins' defense is, you know, there's, there's generally not as many or not as much of a defined pattern there. But, you know, I'd expect to see uh, a lot of Krug... When if, if they're trailing late, and a lot of McAvoy, because those are their two mm-hmm. best offensive defensemen. I don't know if they ever really pair them together, um, but that'd be interesting to see. Also, one thing for the Leafs, it, it might be worth doing um, every so often, and it, this is something that has happened throughout the season, right, where Dermott would take a couple shifts with Riley or a shift with Gardner, and like mixing, mixing and matching the Leafs' lefty when advantageous to take advantage mm-hmm. of the fact that, okay, now we have two puck-moving defensemen. And it's a bit awkward because yes. they both shoot the same way but you know that that can still work and um, particularly against the Bruins depth I wouldn't mind seeing that yeah because they can take Uh, advantage of of that and perhaps break out easier and you know really try and hammer that depth of course that's also mitigated by the fact that you want to play our best defenseman against their best uh, forward mm -hmm. so you don't want to waste you don't want to waste like a lot of Gardner Riley time against Charlie Coyle necessarily yeah
0: Yeah, it's, it's a bit of a, a mix there. I do notice that now, uh, with the current healthy lineup, which is Riley, Hainsey, Gardner, Zaitsev, Dermott, Muzzin, or vice versa, um, you have six defensemen that Mike Babcock at least appears to trust to a pretty decent extent, yeah. whereas you would notice in previous playoff series, um, it was really pronounced a couple of years ago when against the Caps, but he would simply stop playing his third pair. Connor Carrick had like eight minutes a game. Yeah, there was one game that went into, I believe it was double overtime. Yep, game two. If I recall. Yeah, and the third pair was Marincin Carrick. Marincin kept playing on the penalty kill. Connor Carrick disappeared. Like, it's like, you know, they wrapped him up in a bag and threw him in the river. He just did not play anymore. Whereas now, I think he has six guys that he is willing to to play pretty considerably. If he still had Igor Alzaganov playing in this lineup, as he did earlier in the year, I think you would see a hell of a lot less of him. But I am curious to see if there's a bit more balance there or if it's just kind of gung-ho. One thing I will absolutely guarantee you is you're going to see a hell of a lot of Jake Gardner. Yeah. Um, there is no question. Like, And that has been without doubt. Uh, there are a lot of people who have bad memories of Gardner last year in Game 7. I get it. He had a bad game. He also was our best defenseman the first six games of the series, and he's the guy that Mike Babcock leans on. So, sorry. Uh, (laughs) You're going to have to get used to that. But uh, it it will be interesting to see how they they break down and how he does vary the pairings a little bit. As we've noted before, sometimes the starting pairings are not the pairings that actually get played. You know, rigidly, there's a lot of flexibility there in terms of giving that extra double lefty-lefty shift or whatever. So it will be curious. Certainly, I think that if the Leafs are trailing, you're going to see a lot of Riley Gardner. Yeah, year.
1: absolutely. Um, yeah. So in Boston's defense usage, it, it's kind of as you'd expect. McAvoy and Char are, they o- almost always take the top competition. And it's going to be interesting to see who mm. Cassidy wants them to match up against. And again, this is one of the dilemmas posed by the Leafs. Do you want them against Austin Matthews? Do you want them against John Tavares? And whichever one isn't against yeah. one of those is against, I don't know, Tory Krug and Brandon Carlo, who are not mm-hmm. as good now. That's that's not to say that a crew like that they're going to victimize Krug and Carlo because they won't necessarily, but that should be an advantage for them because Krug I think is good, very good offensively. Mm-hmm. I don't think he's as good defensively, and Carlo I think is just kind of meh in general.
0: He's passable. He's very big.
1: Yeah, that's yeah, cool. like he 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 is, he is fine, but nothing. I'm not
0: scared of Brandon Cardo. Yeah, certainly not to the same extent. I do notice that the general thinking has been Bergeron, uh, you know, basically top line plus top pair, as you would probably expect. So Bergeron and Marchand play a lot with McAvoy and Chara. So we're going to see if Cassidy is content with what appears to be our desired matchup, which is Tavares. And he, you know... You can see an argument there where it's just saying, yeah, I'll shut down the Tavares line. Um, That's their best line. So we may end up in kind of a weird situation where both teams are pretty content, at least, to start with the same matchup. Uh, So we're going to see about that. But yeah, I mean, you can argue it either way. I do think that from their perspective, I would probably be content to play just heads up for the beginning part of the series anyway and then see how it's shaping. Because the Tavares line is the scariest thing that we have, I think, still. Um, but we'll see how the balance goes out there. I mean, Krug and Carlo, as you say, are not terrifying. But, I mean, uh, their numbers
1: are good, to be fair to them. Like, uh, they're
0: good. Yeah, they're a good second pair, yeah. you know. So, but it,
1: it's yeah. it's not a, a pairing where I'm utterly in infi- feet. I don't think we're going to generate anything. Like, uh, I, I think a lot of their success has to do with the fact that they are on a very good defensive team and they... Don't always face the best competition, which isn't to say that they're they're mm-hmm. bad, but the Leafs are not the average second and third liners that they're going to be facing, and I think that could result in some difference. And you know, the Bruins always have good defensive forwards as well, and they they play a style that is designed to limit offense, so it's going to be tough in that regard. Uh, regardless, but mm-hmm. I think there are some gains to be made there.
0: Yeah, and that. I mean, that comes to back around to the value proposition, right? Which is the line that they're not uh, playing their best against has to make some hay. You know, if it's Austin Matthews is getting those second pair matchups, second line matchups, he has to score. Um, he has to be putting up a positive goal differential for us to really have a great chance, I think. Um you know, I feel a little weird always saying these things because anything can happen, right? Like, you can get a fluky thing. Frederick Goche might go out and play six minutes and somehow get the bounces to score twice. I don't know what's going to happen. But, by and large, you do think that if this is how it breaks down, whoever is taking Kruger and Carlo has to be putting up numbers on them. That's how I see it.
1: Yes, yes. Like, it... It's not enough to be like, okay, yeah, they're good players. Like, we, we know they're good players. Boston doesn't have many bad players. They're a good team. Mm-hmm. Right? Gotta beat good players. Yeah. And then the so. the third pair, um, they've had a lot of injuries. So it's like a, a mix. But a lot of this year, it's been, you know, like John Moore has played there. Um, who also played there? Matt Grizzlick has played there. Uh, Kevin Miller. So, again competent third pair defensemen, but guys who you'd expect the leafs to be able to take advantage of if they're able to engineer matchups where with any of their top three lines against those guys mm-hmm. and
0: and that kind of is what it comes down yeah to, and, and again
1: mean. it's going to be tough because the way boston plays like boston stifles you all throughout their lineup They're depth forwards you know and by that i mean their third and fourth liners they don't score often but mm-hmm. they get scored on even less
0: yeah, uh, which is kind of a coach's dream for your depth, frankly. <laughs> and, I mean, for, we talked about a lot about the rise of Freddie Gauthier, who, again, is not, to be clear, actually all that good. No,
1: crazy. he's, like, he's not good at all, really.
0: <laughs> he's actually kind of bad, but uh, the success of him has basically been, well, he doesn't get outscored. And for a fourth-line center, if you don't get outscored, congratulations, you're employable. Um, the Bruins have a lot of players who are much better than Gojay, who don't get outscored. And that's kind of the structure that they're built on. As we've said, they have these jewels at the top of the lineup who can clobber you. And then the rest of the team just sort of hangs around and lets them do that. So yeah, somewhere you have to find a weakness, whether it's you manage to go punch for punch with the Bergeron line, or you put up numbers against these depth players who are used to slowing the game down to nothing. Um, and then goaltending hangs all over this. I feel like we always talk about this in kind of a goaltending neutral way because we know Freddie Anderson's a really good goalie. Tuukka Rask is a pretty good goalie. Um, it's clouded a little bit by, in terms of he's behind a very good defensive team, so he maybe is a little overrated. But he's a pretty good goalie, so it's just sort of who's going to be feeling good on the week of. And that could overbear anything that we're saying about matchups, but we can't do much more than note that.
1: Yeah, so. yeah, I mean, it's like... What what do you do, right? If if they if their goalie's hot, you're not gonna win, and the same is true if yeah. if Freddie's hot, they're not gonna win.
0: That is true of every series that's going to be happening this year too. Like I'll never forget, uh, Yaroslav Halak, who's, for the record, not to nerve anybody here, but look who he plays backup for now. But I remember him against the Capitals, uh, one year where the Capitals had as good enough. 2010, right? That I've was 20. Team.
1: That was that was the yeah. year the Capitals had like 124 points or something like that.
0: Yeah, and out in round one in seven games because Yaroslav Halak simply stopped getting scored on. And like there was one game where the, the caps outshot them like fifty four to twenty or something like that. And Halak just stood on his head and that was it. You know? So there's a huge element of random chance that goes through all this. Um that we all are kind of aware of and we just have to make our peace with, I guess. So Yeah. But beyond that all I can say is you know, notwithstanding he's had some up and down games. I can't think of too many goalies that I would rather go into this with than Freddie Anderson. So that's positive.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's it's going to be tough. Boston has a lot of good forward. They don't have forward lines that are like black holes. That's the thing. And, you know, the least fourth line kind of is. Hasn't really been noted on because they've had like a good PDO. Mm-hmm. But they, they're kind of getting outshot not you know badly, and I, I hope they see their minutes reduced significantly in the playoffs.
0: Yeah, I will be very surprised if that line plays very much at all. But like, there's gonna be like like Connor Brown will get it out on the PK, and that'll. Be I
1: kind of want them to play less than four minutes at five on five
0: use them cult north style where it's like, we're just keeping them there so that they're scary. <laughs>
1: yeah. Cause I mean, like, the it, it's is. very striking when you look at, as I am right now, I'm looking at one of the charts that Michael McCurdy has on his site, which is just basically how every combination of forwards has done on each team. Right. Mm-hmm. And Boston's is just kind of concentrated um, above the kind of 50% line. Um, yeah. And in such a way where it, it it's all pretty low event, except for, their top line really and then yeah. the leafs have like they're kind of concentrated almost in the same area but just shifted um to the high event areas right mm-hmm. but then their fourth line is like much worse and then some lines with marlo are much
0: worse yeah uh, that, i mean that, that's the glaring thing is that we're probably still going to be playing marlo with country mm-hmm. and you, you know i will grant uh you know trevor moore is maybe not of the capacity, really, either to play top nine in the series playoff series right now, but that's glaring. We talk about weaknesses, and I feel like it's right defense and also Patrick Marlowe that worries me quite a bit. But um, not much more we can do about that than hope it's not a huge problem and hope that Marlowe, Cadre, Capen, and/or whoever can hold their own, you know. So
1: yeah, pr- pretty much like it's. It's interesting um, because Boston's third line and Toronto's mm-hmm. third line is going to be the a huge, huge, huge matchup.
0: Yeah, and I still feel pretty good about it because I think Nazan Kadri is a well above average third line center. Even granted, this hasn't been his finest year. But we kind of need to win that matchup. Like, that's the thing that you circle on the depth chart and you say this is where Toronto has a real advantage. Yeah. Um, more definitively than we do anywhere. Yeah, else.
1: I, I feel good so. about it in theory, right? Yeah. <laughs> like when you look at the names, I feel good about it. But then you look at what Boston's third line has generally been able to do, and they're you know comfortably above water. And this is muddied because Boston had so many injuries that they've used a million players there. But generally speaking, yeah. they've kept their heads above water, and you know I it, I don't think based on how they're using a lot of their players, I don't think they're getting you know crazy sheltered usage. They're not sheltering that third line, really. Uh, and no. c- putting them in cushy zone starts the way the Leafs did with the Bozak line last year. Mm. So, yeah, it's going to be kind of a test of how well the Leafs can, as you know, we keep saying, break that defensive structure and force the Bruins to play a game that they don't really want to play. In that, like, you know, having to create offense. or ha- As opposed to, Generating kind of generic league average offense and stifling the other team.
0: Yeah, if this is a close high event series, I like the Leafs' chances quite a bit. You know, I'm assuming it's possible for it to be high event because the Leafs get blown out of the rank. But, you know, if it's competitive, there's a lot of action both ways. That probably means that the Leafs have dictated the pace. And it doesn't mean they're guaranteed to win because Boston can still play that way up to a point. Yeah, I mean, that top line can play at
1: whatever pace you want. And that second line is, again, very good.
0: Yeah, like, this is the thing is, like, you know, we talk about all this. There's no magic bullet because you're playing a really good team. Boston's a top five team in the world easily. So, But at the same time, I don't (laughs) think there's a magic bullet
1: for them either. I don't think, like, they can reasonably say, okay, we expect the Bergeron line to win that matchup. But this might be... They're, facing another re- they're going to be facing another really good line who can victimize them.
0: Yeah, like, are you not a little worried about Austin Matthews if you're in their shoes? I am. You know, he's like the best five-on-five goal scorer in the world. You know, that, that would be something to think about. Uh, I, I would probably know... I don't, we haven't gone that deep into special teams yet, but uh, the Bruins' power play has certainly been converting on a lot of their chances lately. They don't look as dominant by shots and chances as that number would suggest but uh you know they have the personnel I mean once again they just use Bergeron and Marchand pretty much all the time for everything yeah it's very frustrating that they're able to do that frankly but they
1: finally have a bit of a weapon of their own in Mitch Marner on the penalty kill which has been amazing um yes Boston's power play is yeah it if you look at their shot chart it doesn't look amazing if you look at their numbers, it doesn't look amazing, but they get a lot of goals, and they have three elite shooters on that on that power, top power play unit in Pasternak, Marchand, and uh, Bergeron. And mm-hmm. they create, from what I've seen, a lot of east-west movement, which, you know, like a, a Pasternak one-timer from the right circle, that's not an Ovechkin-Stamkos thing, but it's not terribly far off either.
0: It's terrifying, you know. It's it's a bad thing to have happen to you when there's a you know a path pass going through the high slot. To yeah, and,
1: and Bergeron um, is so good at kind of popping out uh, from from the middle, and he he can beat goalies clean from distance. They they can do a lot, and then also Bergeron and Marchand are super dangerous um, when playing shorthanded. So special yeah. teams is a little scary. The the Leafs have a power play that, by the numbers, has been dominant all year round. And mm-hmm. I don't know if their full-year numbers are just buoyed by the incredibly hot start, but it hasn't felt like a dominant power play in a while. And part of that could just be, you know, they haven't gotten the goals to go in. Um, but again, like, the Leafs kind of need to win the special teams battle because Boston is a slightly better 5-on-5 team than them.
0: Mm-hmm. And, at, least, at, least, know- at least
1: in some ways. Like, at least the, if Boston controls that, the, the 5v5 play, the Leafs will really, really need the, the power play. And yeah, it's, it'll be a little tricky.
0: Yeah, it's kind of debatable for once whether it's to the Leafs' advantage if this turns into like a very low-penalty series, the way that a lot of games this year for the Leafs have done, because the Leafs generally tend to not take very many penalties, and as a consequence, they also don't draw very many penalties because there's sort of an innate sense of balance that seems to go on in the minds of refs. Um, I don't know how, how that's going to break up. I won't lie... In terms of irrational feelings that are it's not really that irrational. The one that I do really feel is that I'm so fucking tired of having to play Patrice Bergeron. You (laughs) know? (laughs) He's so good all the time. They can play him like 20, 25 minutes a night, and he'll dominate you in all three phases of the game. And so he does scare me a lot in terms of his ability to to put up shorthanded chances, which I, I don't trust the Leafs not to give up and to dominate in the power play. but Yeah,
1: the Leafs' top power play unit seems like super lackadaisical defensively sometimes, and they can't be against Bergeron and Marchand. Um, I wanted to amend one thing I said. The Leafs actually have a better 5v5 goal differential than the Bruins. Uh, The Leafs are plus 36, and Boston's like plus 29. Not a big difference, but, mm-hmm. but funnily enough, Boston actually has a better 5v5 goals for percentage because they're lower yeah. event, right? But it's a lower differential. Which, which yeah, illustrates the difference I mean, between these two teams quite well. The the Leafs um, really, like, they outscore you and Boston kind of outlasts you.
0: Yeah, I think that's the best way to put it, actually. Um, you know, the Leafs are going to try to win 5-4. It's, it's a real and contrast of as, styles. Yeah, as much as I'm sure Mike Babcock would like it if they did not always try to win 5-4. This is what they do, and they've been doing it so long that it's hard to see that they are going to suddenly turn into like a 3-1 team or whatever like that, you know, they're going to go out there and they're going to try to blow the doors off Boston. And I, I suppose if there's some, some room for optimism, it's one thing that we saw time and again throughout the season, which is that the Leafs could have not all that impressive games and they could suddenly wipe out a team in about three or four minutes, you know, suddenly they would get on a tear and they'll score two or three times. Because they have such offensive ability. They have finishers. Mm -hmm. And if you want to look on the bright side for the Leafs in this series, the definitive thing is they have more finishers. Boston has, I would say, three of them that really scare me. But the Leafs have a lot of guys who can break a game open.
1: Yeah, and the scary thing is, will they be able to do that against Boston? Will they be able to do that against a team that always seems, it it always feels like Boston plays with like five and a half guys. And I don't mean the refs, but like, Mm -hmm. it it feels like, wait, why do they have, they have a guy back there? I swear he was, he was like, he was somewhere else a minute ago or a second ago, right? It's like, (laughs) how how do they always have guys behind the puck? Like they're very disciplined and committed to their structure. It's, I wouldn't say it's fun to watch because it's in fact very, very boring to watch, but it's kind of admirable.
0: Yeah, like definitely they're a well-coached team. They have a lot of buy-in. You know, you can get into all sorts of, quasi-superstitious explanations for this, but I think certainly when your best player is also one of the best defensive players in, I'm going to say, history, you know, I think that that goes a long way in terms of helping build that conservative ethos, you know, and the the Leafs are run and gun at this point. Uh, We wondered if there were going to be some changes, but nope, they are just the run and gunniest team that ever ran and gunned, so. Yeah,
1: and I mean, look, here we are. It's possible that the Leafs, if they come out firing, like their speed takes some time to adjust to, I think. And Boston has seen it a lot. But it's not out of the question that the Leafs can, as you said, blow a game wide open in a minute.
0: Yeah. Right? And that's pretty much what I think we have to hope for, is just that that offense is going to tell. And there are worse things to bet on in hockey than having a lot of really good offensive players. So... Yeah, I won't say that I'm optimistic about this series. I think I would favor the Bruins by, like, the weight of a feather in seven games. Yeah. I, I, but it's
1: very, very I think like the two most common outcomes are, like, Bruins in seven or, like, mm-hmm. Leafs in six. Right? Just because of the way home field advantage, home ice advantage works. Uh, the Leafs are more likely to yeah. win in six than in seven, in my opinion. But, like, it's yeah. really close. I would favor Boston by by a hair.
0: Yeah. Um, but, you know, I want to believe. Anyway, I I do think that, you know, as much as there's been a lot of up and down and there have been some feelings of disappointment with this season, uh, you're in with a real chance against a really good team. And there are a lot of years we would have killed to have that opportunity. So, yeah. Um, we we could uh, talk about the rest of the playoffs a little yeah, bit. Yeah, was there anything else you wanted we to, want to discuss
1: that? about Boston? I'm just, like, looking through my notes yeah, and seeing if I had cool. anything else. But, like... Oh, regarding regarding finishers, yeah, DeBrusque oh, yeah. is actually also a good finisher, and he he's had two pretty strong mm-hmm. finishing years in a row. So I'm inclined to think it's it's legit. Um, mm-hmm. so that's annoying. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, and and you gotta hope that this is finally the series where William Nylander's shooting percentage regresses.
0: Oh, man. we had to mention it once. In my dreams, this is the series where William Nylander shoots twenty five percent. Like, just get one hot streak. And, you know, go out there. God, that would be yeah. Nice. But, uh, yeah, we're going to find out. <laughs> so, so, the
1: takeaway from this, it's a close series. Boston has a really, really good uh, defensive team at 5-on-5. And, and the series is going to be won or lost based on how well the Leafs are able to permeate that. Because, you know, Boston's going to generate some level of offense on their own. They're not an amazing offensive team, but mm-hmm. they're they're competent there. And the Leafs are bad on defense. So, if the Leafs can break through Boston's defense and create chances in front and create chaos in front and, you know, move the puck with speed and lure Boston into a bit of a faster game than they would, a higher event game than they would like. I think the Leafs are well-equipped to take advantage of that and get the, get more of those chances in those, Mm -hmm. in those types of high event games. But there's a good chance Boston's able to stymie them entirely and prevent that. So one last thing, I know I'm talking a lot here, but I think Boston, when they do well against the Leafs, it looks like they completely hard counter the Leafs. Right? Mm-hmm. Like, when when they're stymieing the Leafs, it's like, oh, wow, we have nothing going. We can't generate anything offensive. We can't even get close to the net. And it's just depressing because the Leafs are not good when they can't do that. That's the only thing that yeah. they're amazing at.
0: Mm-hmm. And I will say, that's going to happen for at least a period or two in this series. Yeah. It's a question of how often it happens, yeah. but it is. And it's going to suck, but you have to just hope that the good times outweigh the bad. Um so just kind of prime yourself for that and be like, well, as long as we're in it, we're in it. <laughs> you know, we're not eliminated uh, as much as it may feel like we're running uphill. So, you know.
1: All right. Sounds good. Uh, um, so other other okay. series. Let's just briefly talk about all of them. Um,
0: yeah, We'll sure, start with the, the other
1: Atlantic series. I guess this involves a crossover, but Tampa Bay, Columbus.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, Columbus has some players. Columbus has Bobrovsky who could steal a series. Anyone who is favoring the Blue Jackets over Tampa is overthinking the hell out of this. Yeah,
1: Tampa's the better team, but the better team could still lose.
0: Yeah, and you can totally say, like, I I think it's interesting to wonder, like, what is Columbus's chances? What are Columbus's chances, excuse me, in that series in terms of, like, are they, you know, a 30, 35% chance to win that series? Tampa Bay is the heavy favorite i'm gonna take tampa in five yeah tampa
1: has a ridiculous special teams advantage there and yeah you know they're people talk about the refs putting the whistles away in the playoffs but you know to this to the extent that they don't like if there if there is special teams there i expect tampa to dominate that and that's going to swing a couple games in my opinion um what will be interesting to see is like what happens if it if columbus steals one of the first two games like does tampa get nervous does tampa be like or, or, or yeah. the chatter around them i don't think the team will actually itself yeah. get nervous because hockey players are i think pretty good at shutting that stuff out but will the chatter around them be like oh you know they won 62 games but you know it's 1-1 they lost home ice advantage like what's gonna happen now so that'll yeah. be interesting to you see know. um capitals hurricanes that's a really interesting series
0: yeah um I have to say I think I like the chances that the uh, Hurricanes have there. I think uh I, I think really the Hurricanes do. Hurricanes are
1: favorite. Uh, again, so here here's the problem. Um I think the Hurricanes are a better 5v5 team, but special teams is going to make a big difference. And From what I've seen the Hurricanes power play kind of sucks. And then
0: mm-hmm. and the Capitals power play, well, you have Alex Ovechkin. So you you, you have Alex Ovechkin
1: and like <laughs> four good passers and four other good yeah. players, right? I mean, Kuznetsov amazing, Backstrom's amazing, Carlson's amazing oh she's amazing
0: yeah so that's pretty yeah good.
1: so I, th- I think that's a very very close series um and i i imagine washington has the advantage in net that's the thing like I- as good a story as mcleanee and Mrazic have been and finally providing some stability in net there
0: yeah uh, i'm not taking either of them over Brady. agree so yeah uh I I think that the Carolina Hurricanes could definitely make a real series out of that. And they're such a good fancy stat team. And they burned me because I finally stopped believing that their shooting percentage would regress. And then it immediately did. Like after like four years, I was like, okay, clearly they're doing something wrong. And then, boo. But uh, I think I might narrowly favor the Hurricanes in that series. So Yeah.
1: Um, Pittsburgh Islanders.
0: Yeah. Like the Islanders are not a bad team. As much as it would be funny if they were and they got snuffed out, they are not a bad team. Pittsburgh has Crosby and Malkin, so
1: yeah. And I feel like they always have the low hanging fruit that they don't do. They don't pull this trigger in the regular season, but like in the playoffs, they can be like, okay, yeah, you guys, you're playing half the game each.
0: Yeah, you know, and f- it's a bit like a basketball problem where it's like it's not the same game for them because they're geared for the playoffs and they can lean on those guys and those guys can carry the weight. Yeah, and for you know? what it's worth,
1: I think the Leafs should try and do the same thing. Like, as I said, like, the fourth line should play four minutes a night.
0: Yeah. Right?
1: Like, and, and I mean, actually, it might even be simpler. It's like, Freddie Gauthier should play four minutes a night. <laughs> I'm okay with the wingers, yeah. actually. I don't mind the wingers. Yeah, you know,
0: like, d- double shift, uh, you know, Matthews or something like, yeah, like that. And, you know. Every
1: single time down the order, like, it should be like, okay, Tavares takes it out with the fourth line wingers. And then Matthews does and then Kadri does. And then, like, just try and press that advantage. Help put Willy there. If the other guys get tired.
0: Yeah. Like all fine, but me. Yeah. Don't play Freddie Goate. That's my actual takeaway for the Leafs. From the series, yeah. No, I, I, like because uh, again,
1: you want guys who can, the Leafs are not going to out defend Boston. We're not, we need to yeah. commit to like, as I, I, I've used this phrase so many times, but we need to commit to breaking their structure, creating chances in front. Freddie go is not doing that for us.
0: no, Freddie Goche's best-case scenario is nothing yeah. happens.
1: And the thing is, that's what so. Boston's bot- entire bottom six does, but better. Yeah. So I don't think so. playing that game with them is smart.
0: No. So, yeah, but anyway, back to the Penguins. They should—they will probably just do the same thing, which is lean heavily on their. And cars. then again, they have but an yeah. elite power play. Yeah. And, you know, and the Islanders, I'm sorry, but, like, they've been riding Robin Lehner uh, to where they are— Grace. And Thomas Price, it's fair to say. Um that could continue, and if it does, they can beat Pittsburgh. I'm not gonna uh, say it's
1: I some of the models have this as like Islanders favored. And look, the Islanders yeah. are a good team, they are well coached, they have actual mm-hmm. talent, Matt Barzal is the truth, Anders Lee is as much as we joked about him, about you know, is he even actually a person? <laughs> he is in fact a person who is good at hockey. Uh, um
0: Yeah. I, we got kinda owned. And by maybe him. this is just
1: me being, you know, a small minded fan, being like, Oh, Crosby Malkett and Kessel of the Tang. You know, they're, they have mm-hmm. that star power, but that star power. Yeah. And, you
0: know, it's nice to have guys who can take a game Yeah, over.
1: Uh, Jake Gensel is playing, is this year's Chris Kunitz? Of the guy that Sidney Crosby <laughs> takes to 40 goals.
0: Yeah, and you know, he can yeah. do that. So. And, and Gensel is yeah, legit I, good
1: too. Like Just like, like Kunitz was a yeah. good player, just not as good as Crosby made him seem.
0: Yeah, he was a 20 goal man before he got to Crosby, and it's just Crosby made him... Uh, more Mm -hmm. than that so yeah i I mean i i don't think that this is by any means like a total mismatch in terms of like the islanders are non-competitive but i have to favor the penguins i just i can't bring myself to bet against them
1: yeah um blues and jets i'm i'm in on the blues i think they're the better team
0: i mostly agree with you but i'm so baffled by what has happened to the winnipeg jets why aren't they good anymore they're the same guys. They have a lot of personnel that I think are really admirable hockey players. So why are their results bad now? Fortnite addiction. Yeah, you know what? It's all Fortnite what? addiction. Patrick Laine, all kidding aside, has had a weird year. Yeah, Like he scored a lot in one month. And the thing is,
1: like, when Ehlers was out, I was like, okay, well, when Eaters gets back, you know, he's an incredible play driving forward. But he's been back for a bit and their numbers mm. haven't really gotten better.
0: Yeah, and you start being like... I'll have to
1: check that because I could okay. be wrong. Okay. Yeah, I, I, I don't really know what's up with them.
0: Yeah, they don't look like the team that I thought they were, which is like arguably the best team in the West. Like I thought they were as good as anybody out there, and now I don't think that. Uh, the Blues, since their midseason renaissance, which is mostly they got goaltending, which is a lovely thing to get. Um, I, I mean, the Blues really, really impressed me. The Ryan O'Reilly trade to them was hilariously bad by Buffalo, and their their top line now is really, really good. So, Yeah, I think I'll favor the Blues, but the Jets are just such a mystery to me. Like, y- you know, if you'd asked me six months ago, I would have said, oh yeah, for sure the Jets are going to win that series.
1: Yeah, so. I mean, the I think the thing that worries me for the Blues is that Bennington turns, in, turns into a pumpkin.
0: Yeah, and you know that's always a risk with a goalie of his youth. And all you can say is, well, he's been he's pretty been good really so far, good so far. Yeah, he's been like borderline. Like he made the Calder race a little bit almost competitive. He's not gonna win it, but like he made me think about it a little bit. Um, his like goal range.
1: saved above expected.
0: It, it's weird because if he did, if he had
1: these thirty games or whatever, and then like had another thirty where he was just league average, he would be like a Vesna mm-hmm.
0: candidate. <laughs> One hundred percent. It's just would. the way it's. So. It's
1: hard to. It's hard to really um, justify when he's literally only played thirty games, and it's like he's provided immense value in those thirty games. But it just makes it seem like okay, well, what if this is a fluke? You don't want to look back in five years, be like, hey, remember when they gave the Vesna to that guy who uh, had thirty good games and then washed out of the NHL?
0: Yeah, uh, Jim Carrey, not the actor, but you can look it up. He was the actual case where that happened, and um, yeah, you never know. But, uh, yeah, I think, you you know, you have to think the, the Blues are good there. They're a very solid team, kind of top to bottom. And the Jets are in a funk, so. Uh, Nashville-Dallas? That's a weird series. Uh, I didn't anticipate Ben Bishop suddenly returning crazily to form to, like, win the Vesna Or compete for it. But Nashville should be better, I think.
1: Yeah. It's, um... Nashville's a team that, like they haven't looked as good as their you know reputation would suggest for a lot of the season
0: Mm -hmm. yeah Nashville's the opposite of the thing that we talked about with Pittsburgh and the Leafs which is they don't have a lot of offensive game breakers you know Mm -hmm. like they're a very solid defensive team and they should be but yeah they've underwhelmed a little bit in terms of some of the metrics and they don't uh they don't blow you out of the arena they're not that great uh, in terms of having really elite offensive players, so I don't know. I'll still take them over Dallas, but yeah.
1: Uh, who else is left? Uh, oh, uh, now we're getting Pacific, the- San Jose, yeah. Vegas. That's this is a fifty-fifty.
0: Yeah, that's a that's a straight up. Uh, look, it comes down to is Martin Jones going to be uh, mediocre or really bad? Because it does not appear that him being really good is in the cards at this point. But the Sharks are a really, really good team. And so if he's passable, I think I like the uh, the Sharks in that series. If he's not, Vegas has a lot of really good players. So we're going to see. Um, and then the last one, which is the Flames versus the Colorado Avalanche. That's a goaltending question. Like, the only question is, can the Flames get goaltending? If they do, that shouldn't even be close.
1: Yeah. It's the same thing. Like it's, that's why winning the Pacific was so big because facing Vegas versus facing Colorado is a huge, huge deal.
0: Yeah, Colorado has one line. That's it's a very good line, but pretty yeah. Pretty much about it. Yeah, and unlike Boston, I don't really trust their depth at all. No. So you know that said, however, <laughs> Colorado might be about to win the draft lottery while also starting a playoff series. So that's kind of a nice position to be in for them. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Okay. Well. Uh, there we are. We've surveyed everything and we have tried to keep the terrified fear out of our voices, at least in my case.
1: Yeah, I mean, look, this is not going to be a fun series to watch. It's going to be nerve-wracking. Playoff hockey is, like, amazing and awful.
0: Yeah. (laughs) It's going to be horribly anxious, but, you know, Yeah,
1: and, I mean, the Leafs get started on Thursday, so you have four days to psych yourself up for it. I hope it's... I hope we get off to a better start than last year where we were all psyched up for the playoffs and then it's like... (laughs) we just get our stomachs punched five minutes in yeah
0: and for the record you know it's kind of forgotten but it's to their credit that they fought back and made you know made it within one period of winning the series but it's like maybe don't spot the other team two games right off the top by just not showing up that's what i would suggest
1: yeah but, good plan
0: uh, yeah <laughs> all right, all right well. um
1: yeah so thank you for listening you can find all of mine and fullman stuff at pensionplanpuppets.com. you can also follow us on twitter at rv and fullman We'll see you next week after games one and two.